PM board bombs. Now, here's doctors Iltafat Hussein and Blake Bruce. Welcome back to another EM Boar Bombs podcast, where we make boar studying a little bit more enjoyable. I'm joined by my co-host here, Dr. Blake Briggs. I got my coffee ready to go, ready for night shift. Oh, it's wonderful. Dr. Like Dr. Hussein, you sound a little bit um under the weather. Yeah, just, you know, it's typical URI type stuff, fluid in the ears. You know, I took antibiotics within two hours, though. I think that's the new rule, right? Yes. Like within yes. two hours, you're fine. Yeah, yeah we're doing a double dose Z-packs now, actually. Right, double toast. I know. Yeah. That's what this was great about Z Pack is it doesn't work. <laughs> you know? I heard uh so. they've been reevaluating it for antiviral treatment. <laughs> right. <laughs> no. Seriously. I'll be fine. So for every ten to fifteen minute episode, um we drop high yield board knowledge. Uh, sign up on our website, emboardbombs.com, Twitter at emboardbombs. Hey, Briggs, you ready? Yeah, let's let's get this done, then uh, I'll write your script for Tamiflu. <laughs> Uh, I already have that going. Oh, have, good, good. I took good. that too. That, that's it's the pack, right? Yeah. You know they say triple therapy, right? <laughs> uh, it's azithromycin, Tamiflu, and steroids, baby. Oh, that's perfect. That's perfect. So, an 18-year-old patient with sickle cell disease presents to your emergency medicine department with the chief complaint of vision loss and eye pain. He got a hoverboard for Christmas and was riding it outside, screaming out, "Quote, I'm Marty McFly." End quote. Unfortunately. <laughs> He didn't realize that the hoverboard didn't actually float on there and kept trying to jump up and down on it. In the process of doing this, he did a 360 and hit himself in the eye. While you're evaluating the patient, I know, you ask your medical student the next best step, to which they reply, quote, call up <laughs> end quote, in a rhetorical kind of manner. You admonish them for not listening to the latest Ian Boardbombs podcast and tell pharmacy to give the patient what immediately? A- Topical Timolol, B, IV Manitol, C, IV Tordol for pain, D, IV Acetazolamide, E, Topical Cyclopentoid. What's the right answer? It's going to be choice A, Topical Timolol is the correct medication to give. Boom, boom, boom. What are we talking about today? It's, uh, <laughs> talking about hyphemas. This is so, you know, whoever sent this question in, Thanks. Thanks <laughs> this is, ah, uh, you know, it's like one of those where you just have to get, hype yourself up for something. Yeah. I just yeah. get to hype myself up for I this. I remember we, we had to do this uh, before PEDS uh, EKGs. Uh, that's true. Oh my gosh. But you know what? PEDS EKGs, you were like, that matters. <laughs> I'm like, hyphemas, they're just like not cool to take care of they are so popular on boards they are they are so it's a common complication of trauma to the eye that's how we oftentimes see this oftentimes you see this on your level traumas but a lot of the traumas are also has been more in fist fights and other things uh non-mbc type traumas you mean fisticuffs fisticuffs exactly so <laughs> with trauma it's blood in your anterior chamber that's something to know anterior chamber you have a high risk of vision loss and globe rupture with this. 
And one of the key things that we mentioned in the question stem here was sickle cell. Sometimes the question stem that you're going to have is going to give you someone who's relatively young, like a young child who presents with this. And you need to know from an epi standpoint that it disproportionately is going to be affecting sickle cell patients. And it could also be an early sign of some sort of coagulopathy. Most of the time, this actually occurs in kids 70% of the time. More in males, obviously. Obviously. (laughs) And remember what the anterior chamber is? Hey, let's keep talking about the anterior chamber. So We're seeing eye to eye here. All right. (laughs) Yeah, give us some deets on the anterior chamber here. Tell us what's going on. The deets? So the deets are pretty boring. So... (laughs) The anterior chamber is not an exciting place for a non-ophthalmologist. It's made up of the cornea, the iris, the angle, and then the lens. Clear aqueous humor uh, fills that area. The angle of the eye is actually formed by the iris meeting the cornea at a junction. If you impair the flow from this uh, of fluid that's made there, basically secreted into the, the aqueous humor, if you impair this exiting of the fluid, your intraocular pressure is going to rise. <coughs> cough, cough, acute uh, angle. Yeah, cough, cough. Anyway, so the problem is, is that the big deal here is that you're going to have some form of trauma, fills in the eye with blood, blah, 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 in the anterior chamber. And then because of that, you're going to have an increase in IOP and then permanent vision loss. The other problem is, as Dr. Hussain already said, globe rupture. So blunt trauma is much more common than penetrating, which in general, that's just how things are. Here's the grading. Yeah. This is going to be important. This is one of the Key points, unfortunately, you have to know. Thankfully, it's not that hard. So generally, we're measuring the height of this hyphema from the inferior limbus, so the bottom of the eye, to the top. So grade one is less than 33%, which makes me so mad. (laughs) Why they picked 33% versus like 25%. (laughs) It makes obvious sense. No, tell me, please. I was just making that up. I really just wanted, for one split second, I wanted you to think that there was an obvious answer and you did not see it. I mean, I've been raised well and I uh, always respect whatever the attending says is right. (laughs) Oh, sorry. I was laughing at that comment. Good. Okay. Glad we're on the same page. So grade one is 33% for some weird reason. Grade two is 33% to 50%. Grade three is greater than fifty percent, and grade four is the whole the whole eye, the whole pupils occluded with blood. Um, I just remember grade two. <laughs> yeah. And if you're like less than fifty percent, and it looks even like less than a quarter, it's a grade one. You just go to the middle of the eye and say, "Is that over half the eye?" Yes. Okay. Yeah. It's either grade two, three, or four. Is it less than half the eye? Okay. It's only grade one or two. Um, it's just don't memorize those percents. They're not yeah. going to ask you that. Just know the general kind of feel of okay. This is a certain amount of grade, right? And the most important right. part is, is that the only grades that really matter for decision-making is that if you have a normal patient with no underlying coagulopathies or sickle cell disease, and they have a high FEMA grade three or four, so the top two, so over 50%, they get an opto consult. Anything else potentially can go home. So right. that's, that's when this grading matters. That's it for consult and then the test question when they ask you that. So right. what's the risk of vision loss? That depends on, obviously, what we just said here, the degree of grading, right? And then elevated intraocular pressure either meaning you know permanent vision loss concerns, and then rebleeding is a huge risk. Rebleeding will obviously matter if you have a coagulopathy or you're prone to bleeding more or have um, known eye pathology in the past that predisposes you to that. 
So the bleeding initially from the trauma is rapid. It usually tamponades by itself quickly. The problem is that it can re-bleed later. For sickle cell disease patients, the bigger problem is that they have a higher amount of increased intraocular pressure. They can have complications with optic atrophy, secondary hemorrhages, and then sickling is much more likely due to the eye being a lower oxygen environment, right? Because the blood supply to the eye is a lot more limited and the oxygen rich environment is gonna be less in this environment where you have a right. large amount of blood extravasating that area. The presentation of this patients, uh, Dr. Sen, you wanna go over that? Yeah, kind of how we mentioned already in terms of the clinical symptoms, but they might talk about photophobia. They're always gonna have decreased visual acuity, anascoria, elevated intraocular pressures, and the elevated intraocular pressures in about 30% of the patients, which is pretty large, I think. Yeah, it is pretty large. So, Because oftentimes you don't think of that, right? Like when you have someone who comes in, hyphema is very obvious, but uh, measuring pressures is definitely important. Yeah, for sure. Uh, speaking of that, let's talk about steps in management here. There's a certain step you should do this evaluation, and honestly, this is the same you should do for every eye patient. So the first thing right. is you're going to approach the eye, and you're going to look at it. You're going to approach the eye uh, from a blind angle so that it doesn't catch you coming. I'm just kidding. So you're going to approach the eye. <laughs> crouching tiger, hidden resident. So you're going to approach the eye from the front, and you're going to look at it basically for any obvious orbital compartment syndrome. And the problem is, if you find any orbital compartment syndrome, what are you going to do? Lateral canthotomy. That's right. Snip, snip here, snip, snip there. So you're going to get a lateral canthotomy in. What are the signs of orbital compartment syndrome? Well, proptosis, obviously. Right, right. Decreased visual acuity. Severely decreased, not just like 20 over 50. <laughs> yeah, that's and that's one of those questions that opto will always ask you on the phone. And whenever you're worried about orbital compartment, they'll say, well, what exactly is the visual acuity? Which can also be hard because there can be so much edema right around that eye. And just getting someone to open their eyes is difficult. But if they can see, then they almost certainly do not have orbital compartment. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And then the other thing to look for is a diffuse subconjunctival hemorrhages. Um, and this can be like a thick, like, you know, blood red, swollen conjunctiva of the eye all concerning for orbital compartment syndrome. So we're gonna check for that first, right? And as we said, if we have to, we'll do a lateral canthotomy. So the second thing is you're gonna check the pupils, you're gonna check the extraocular eye muscles, right? You're gonna assess visual acuity. This is where you should have your own Snelling card on ship. This is more of a life pearl, a board bomb life pearl, but um, you should not be calling ophthalmology and without a visual acuity in my opinion. If you have an eye patient with a serious eye complaint, um, you should be calling them and saying, yeah, the vision on this is 20 over 200, and the vision on, you know, ODOS, whatever, whatever side is like 20 over 40. You need to be telling them instead of like, I held up two fingers and they got one and a half of them. Yeah. And I think honestly, more importantly though, for your own chart and just to be a good yeah, physician, absolutely. you should just do that, you know, yeah, and worst case scenario, hashtag MD life hack is you can pull up a chart on your phone just by clicking Google. Sure. You're trying to see if there's asymmetry, obviously. I mean, that's one of the biggest things. Mm -hmm. But getting roughly close to the numbers is fine, especially when you're in these trauma settings where a patient might have other types of injuries and it's impossible to get them to walk to actual chart. Absolutely. 100% agree. Um, and also these patients that have other trauma like orbital fractures, um, they could have brain bleeds as well, depending on the force of the blunt trauma. So once we do all that, We've checked pupils, we've checked for orbital compartment syndrome, checked for extraocular eye motion, uh, we have checked for visual acuity, 
The next step you should do is uh, fluorescent staining. And for this, you're going to look for the Seidel sign or the Seidel sign, depending on uh, what hemisphere you're from. And then you're also <laughs> going to look for other corneal trauma as well. Dr. Hussain, tell me more about the Seidel sign. I know that your great-grandfather actually presented with Dr. Seidel. Oh, yeah, Eric. Eric Seidel. Yeah. Yes. Jolly good uh, fellow. Born, Jolly good. Born, born 1882, died 1948, <laughs> a German ophthalmologist. Yeah. That's pretty much all I have for you. You can tell that Dr. Hussain and I are really excited about today. So in general, <laughs> once you check for that, now the Seidel sign is not that reliable. Unfortunately, it is not found in the majority of patients. So you can't just say, oh, there's no Seidel, there's no open globe. You can definitely not do that. Uh, but if you see it, it's pretty much very specific and very concerning for an open globe. And right. so speaking of that, after you do the fluorescent saying, this is when you can do more of a definitive evaluation for an open globe. You're going to look for, as we said earlier, large subconjunctival hemorrhage. You're going to look for, you know, obviously extrusion of ocular contents. That may be a big cell. <laughs> right, right. You're going to see any like foreign body sticking out of the eye. You're going to see a peaked pupil. If you look from the side of the eye, the, pe the pupil could be sticking out further. Um, you're going to look for an afferent pupillary defect. An APD is huge here. I think APD and extrusion of ocular contents pretty much just nails it for you. Exactly right. And the last thing you're going to look for is if you decide to do measure uh, intraocular pressure, a low intraocular pressure reading is concerning for an open globe. So keep that in mind. You know, there's a lot of debate on which of these patients should get IOP measurements, right? Um, you know, there's always a saying, if there is a really strong concern for open globe, then you shouldn't be measuring IOP. Well, you know, we're not going to go into that today because that's very case by case. Um, we're not telling you to always measure IOP in the setting if you're extremely concerned about an open globe. And so really the big thing is, and what we're going to do the bottom line here for, and the boards are never going to ask you this gray area, is that if you're concerned at all about an open globe based on the things we've just said, you do not measure IOP using a tono pin. You call off the Yeah, just don't. Yeah. Now, again, in real life, it's case by case, um, and we won't get really into that further. So what? let's say you do find a patient with a hyphema. What are the basic steps after you've kind of done all this management and looking at their eye, and you've ruled out orbital compartment syndrome, so you don't have to do a lateral canthotomy. Um, you've done your full assessment, and they're really just kind of chilling there with their hyphema. The first thing you should do is elevate the head of the bed. Um, you know, most of our eye patients sit in like a slit lamp room with a chair, but if they're in a bed from a trauma and such, and they have no reason to not be sitting up further, uh, they, the, the, even 20 degrees is helpful than lying flat. They should be lying higher in bed. Uh, cycloplegics and topical pain medication is good only if you've completely excluded an open globe injury. Another thing is you need to correct the coagulopathy if present. So if these are patients with known, you know, um, Willebrand's disease, if these are patients with other coagulopathies or they're on anticoagulation, um, you need to consider, consider, depending on the grade, this being a life-threatening bleed that needs reversal. And that's an important board pearl that we're delivering here is I think a lot of times folks don't realize that. You know, we're kind of, we're making fun of this topic in general. But this is one of those moments where, you know, someone's coming in, an older patient who has this, you might not think, hey, I need to reverse this immediately. It's not that big of a deal, but it can turn into a huge deal. 
Right, absolutely. And that's, again, just this needs to be close communication with your ophthalmologist. And after they do their assessment, really kind of talking to them like in terms of based on your exam, and they're always going to be on the boards very obvious about how these patients are presenting, but also, hey, you know, is this a patient that needs to be reversed? And they're always going to phrase in the question like, oh my gosh, there's this massive, you know, retrobulbar hematoma and they have a hyphema too. That would be the case we would probably, you know, consider reversing the anticoagulation if it's a vision-threatening disease. Exactly. Yeah. The treatment for elevated intraocular pressure, and this is where we get into the question stem, is topical timolol. That's first line. You need to avoid acetazolamide in those with sickle cell disease. This is such a classic board pearl, I can't even get over it. I would have said something, but I didn't realize I was still on mute from a coughing spell that I was having. <laughs> yeah, so. we, yeah, since uh, throughout this episode, I've been thinking more, and I think Dr. Hussein has tuberculosis. <laughs> so instead of the hey, uh, triple right. therapy, we need to add quadruple therapy. Uh, we'll add isoniazid. Um, hey, I'm sure you could just check your grandmother's purse and it's in there, like most board questions oh my say. God. You know, I took uh, isoniazid uh, for six months. I did that, six mm. to nine months in med school mm. I, because I had the BCG vaccine and they were like, oh. oh, we'll just do yearly chest x-rays on you. That sounds and safe. I just, I just thought, you know, I think that's suboptimal. Let me just let me just do the INH and just, just bit the bullet. And it was easy for me. Everyone freaked out. I don't drink alcohol. So everyone... Doctor was like, "Oh, you can't drink alcohol now." Yeah, but now you have lupus. Anyway, so (laughs) so you're gonna neuropathy. (laughs) You're going to avoid acetazolamide in those with sickle cell disease. Let's keep that in mind. That's why that wasn't the right answer. Other drugs that are not the right answer. Why aren't we giving IV uh, uh, ketorolac or ketorolac again, depending on what hemisphere you're from? (laughs) Why are we giving that for pain? Not you're saying. Um, I don't know. I mean, you're dealing with someone who's like acutely bleeding. It just it sounds like a suboptimal thing to give. So let's not do yeah. let's not do tort all here. Generous pain control. This is a painful condition. It's your bloody eye for God's sake. So no pun intended. <laughs> it's your bloody eye. <laughs> I like it. All right. So CT head should be performed in those. Obviously, if there's a, a significant amount of trauma or concern about orbital fractures, which have a high association with this condition, you should be getting CTs. Fairly generously on these patients if you're really concerned about the mechanism. Maybe not in every kid, but in the adult. You should never be doing ultrasound for these type of patients. I know we love doing ultrasounds for local oh attachments. Um, it's fun, and they're they're really rewarding. But this is the type of patient you should probably just exclude it. <laughs> and then, as we hinted at earlier, just finishing up here, who gets an optho consult? Every single hyphema, if you're a normal human being with no medical history, and it was a simple trauma, Every hyphema grade three and four gets an automatic ophthalmology consult. Who right. also gets ophthalmology consults? Anyone that has any coagulopathy or any hemoglobinopathy, so like sickle cell disease. And those two types of patients get an optho consult no matter what grade the hyphema is. Right. So, okay, Dr. Briggs, let's try to summarize this up real quick. Quick board pearls for people to know from this sexy topic. <laughs> What's the treatment? If you come in with an elevated intraocular pressure, you need to be addressing any concern for acute angle closure. So that's topical timolol. You are going to avoid acetazolamide in sickle cell disease patients. You are going to avoid cyclopentolate in patients where you're concerned about an open globe. And you're going to avoid, obviously, catrolac or any NSAIDs or aspirin for patients that are actively having this bleed. IV mannitol is like last line. Timolol should always come before that. But Timolol, I think that's how they're going to present it to you. All right, number two, how are they going to try to trick you on this one in terms of from an epi standpoint? We alluded to it in our question step. Yes, yes, indeed. 
So saying that this is either going to be a trauma or spontaneous versus sickle cell disease, coagulopathies. They're also going to trick you by the grading. So they're not going to ask you certain percents, but remember that over half, if you see over half of blood in the eye, that gets an opto consult every time, even if they're a normal person. Right. And I can see them just showing you a straight up picture. Absolutely. And saying there, there's no trauma. Mm-hmm. And them trying to get you to understand, hey, you need to be thinking about sickle cell. You need to be thinking about some sort of coagulopathy, mm-hmm. you know, on this patient, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And then, lastly, if the patient is on anticoagulation, this is considered what and what do you need to do? You know, if the patient's on anticoagulation or has a known coagulopathy, um, if it's a vision-threatening disease, and the question stem will say this. You need to reverse your anticoagulation if you can. Oh, there you go. Those are really the maybe the three, four main ways that I see them presenting this yeah. very cool topic. Yeah, this is something that um, I have a niche in, actually. Um, I plan to have a career <laughs> niche of hyphemas. Oh, man. All right. Moving on. <laughs> Moving on. Let's, let's wrap this up, Dr. Briggs. Take the wheel. All right. Thanks again for listening. That's another Boar Bomb delivered. Remember to sign up on our website at emboarbombs.com for future episodes and new content. Again, that's emboarbombs.com. We're on Twitter, at emboarbombs, also on Instagram. Sign up, join us, drop an app overview. We have jumped in the ratings. I have to say that right now. Yeah, (laughs) and I I did want to, you know, the ratings are great. We've gotten a lot of love, and all the reviews are fantastic. We do want to send out a special thanks to people who are, taking time to personally reach out to us via email mm-hmm. and um, DMs and other things mm-hmm. um, to just say they really appreciate the work that we're doing. I know especially the last two podcasts um, folks really like. Hey, Dr. Briggs and I do this to really just get the word out and uh, really educate as many folks as we can. Um, so that type of feedback is always really welcome and uh, we appreciate it. Hashtag edutainment. That's what we are. Boom. Boom. Have a good one.